There's this mother, husband and wife shopping at the mall, Christmas shopping. And they're at one of those kiosks, you know, those things in the middle of the mall, that's those little stores in the middle there, you know, they sell all kinds of stuff, odds and ends and things. Well, they're at this one kiosk looking at jewelry. And as the wife was preoccupied looking at the jewelry, you know how excited husbands are when your wife's shopping for jewelry, right? So he's there looking around, not paying much attention to anything, until across the hallway, he sees this very beautiful, shapely young lady cross his path. Short miniskirt, well endowed, and his eyes just go. He thought his wife wasn't looking. Without looking from, looking from a jewelry, she says, well, was it worth the trouble you're in right now? <laughs> That's what happens with lust. It's not worth the trouble you may find yourself in. There's a story of two Buddhist monks that were walking in a thunderstorm. They came to this creek that was overflowing, and there was this young lady there who needed to cross the river. She was a Japanese lady, very beautiful. And one of the monks said, can I help you? She says, yes, I need to get across the river, but it's so swollen here that I don't think I can make it. He says, let me help you. And so he picked her up, put her on her shoulders, and crossed the river. That night they got to their place they were going to spend the night, and, and one monk was really upset with the monk who carried the young woman across. He says, you know, I got a problem. As monks, we've taken vows not to look on a woman, let alone touch her body. And back there, you did both things. And the monk who carried the woman looked at his brother, monk, and says, Brother, I put that woman down on the edge of the bank. Seems that you're still carrying her around in your thought process. And that's what happens. When we look at something, we start carrying that process in our hearts, in our minds, and that's exactly what David did with Bathsheba. I don't think that's the first time he ever saw Bathsheba taking a bath. I think there are other times he saw that. And he probably waited for his opportunity when all the armies went off to war. He figured, oh, this is my opportunity now. Now, Scripture doesn't say that, but I think it might be true. But the sad thing is, David brought all this upon himself. In the first ten chapters of 2 Samuel describe how God took care of David and empowered David to conquer his enemies, to increase the, the land. And then chapters 11 and 12, David is caught in deceit, lust, adultery, and murder. In chapter 12, Nathan comes and tells David, because of your sin, there are painful consequences. And these painful consequences are going to be paid by your family. In chapter 10, verse, or 12, verse 10, he says, the sword will not depart from your family, from your life. These are the consequences. The baby's going to die. And we're going to see three of his other sons died as well because of sinful lusts in their heart. David's days, you know, they went from good times to bad times, almost overnight. His life is filled with despair, disappointment, discouragement, depression. You know, God had forgiven him. He confessed his sins, repented. God forgave him because of his mercy and grace. God didn't have to because of murder was to be put to death. And adultery was to be put to death, but God spared him. But during all this time, David still depends upon God. Even though his life is full of pain, 
And that may describe some of us here today. And we talk about the reaping the whirlwind. That's a tornado because of our sin in our lives. Sometimes we reap the whirlwind from someone else, a relative or a friend who gets involved in sin. So we're going to talk about lust today. And chapter 13 talks about the assault on Tamar. I, I, I dislike using the word rape, but that's what happens here. And uh, I thought I would just skip chapter 13 and go straight to Absalom's rebellion, but we can't do that. And we've got to preach the whole counsel of God. And in order to understand why Absalom did what he did, you've got to understand chapter 13. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And oh, Lord, we need to preach the whole counsel of God. Your word records the good things as well as the bad things. And we just pray, Lord, as we talk about lust, how David's lust had a tragic effect upon his family. And that lust is ever-present with us. We see it in magazines. We see it on TV commercials. We see it on TV programs. We see it in the bookstores. <coughs> Excuse me. Lord, it's, it's everywhere. Satan is tempting us. Our selfish desires are tempting us. The God and God of this worldly society are tempting us. Our life is filled with lusts. And I pray, Lord, through this message, we'll learn some principles that will help us to fight against these temptations and lusts that war within our souls. Fill us all with your spirit this morning, Lord. Especially me, Lord. Strengthen me to hopefully finish this message. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, we can't combat the lust that we find in our own lives. Whatever it may be. It may not be immorality. maybe something else. And materialism. Or deceit. Who knows? But you can give us the victory over it, Lord. Again, I thank you for that. I have an opportunity to preach your word. Fill us all again with your spirit. And accomplish your purpose in our lives today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> I don't know how far we go with this message. I'm going to go until I run out of gas. Maybe 12.30, but we'll see. Probably more like, who knows. Well, let's see. <clears throat> okay, so we see the salt on Tamar. We see Amon's desires of Tamar and his regard for. Let's read it, verses 1 and 2, one and two of chapter 13. Now, it was after that this, that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister. His name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. And Ammon was so frustrated because of his sister, Tamar, that he made himself ill. For she was a virgin, and it seemed hard for, to Ammon to do anything to her. Here we see... I got a cough here. Hold on. <coughs> no, this is fine. Tamar is Absalom's full sister. She is Ammon's half-sister. Their mother is Makah, was a princess from the area of Geshur. Chances are when David conquered that area, he either captured Makah and made him his wife, or they had a mutual agreement to be married to, to cement their relationship. So he married Makah, and from Makah, she had two children, Tamar and Absalom. And we see that Absalom had royal blood from both his father and his mother's side. That may give us an indication why he wanted to be king so bad. The word beautiful describes, is the same word describes both David and Absalom. So she was a very beautiful woman. Now Ammon is the oldest of David's sons and is the apparent heir to the throne. So probably thought he had special privileges because he was going to be the next king. He was waiting for his dad to die. Now Ammon loves his Beautiful half-sister. 
His craving for her was so intense that he was frustrated. See that word there? King James has the word vexed. New King James has the word distressed. That word means to bind, to tie up in knots emotionally, to be in distress. It also has the idea of being narrowed or focused upon her. The idea is the only thing he thought about was Tamar. When he went to bed, he thought about her. He couldn't sleep. When he woke up in the morning, he thought about her. All day long is all he thought about. Being with Tamar. And he found that this desire had to be satisfied. And we see here David, or Amen is following David's footsteps. David had a desire that had to be fulfilled. No matter who got hurt, David had to fulfill his desires. And Amen's thinking the same thing. I gotta fulfill my desire. And it was evil form. Because brothers and sisters are not to get married. But here he has this lustful desire for his half-sister. He was so infatuated with Tamar that he really thought he loved her, but in reality he didn't. We're going to talk more about that later. Usually when young teenagers or young college-age kids, you know, they think they love one another, but in reality it's not love, it's, it's lust. And then the, the virgin princesses were kept secluded in their own quarters. This is why he asked David for permission to have Tamar come and fix some food. Because they were kept secluded. They wore a special robe designed to show that they were princesses and that they were virgins. And one commentator said, Inwardly man's mature, I'm sorry, inwardly man's nature is to desire forbidden fruit. The more that it is forbidden, the more it is greedily desired. And that's true. You tell someone you can't do something, and what do they want to do? They want to do it. We see the desires. Notice the recommendations from a friend in verses 3 through 5. Now, Jonadab is Amon's cousin. Notice what it says about him in verse 3. But Amon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. Now, the word shrewd, King James has the word subtle. New King James has the word crafty. It means clever. It means wise. But he didn't have godly wisdom. He had worldly wisdom. Let's go to James and see how James describes worldly wisdom. James chapter 3, let's look at verse 5. James chapter 3, verse 5. Boy, I said that all wrong. It's James chapter 3, verse 15. So get your eyes off of 5 and let's go to 15. There it goes. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So it's sensual, it's demonic. Because Satan tempts us. He wants us to do wrong. So notice what he counsels Ammon to do. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Why are you looking so haggard? What's wrong? Will you not tell me? Then Ammon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. And it says, you know, every morning he couldn't sleep and he just looks awful. And John Dad probably came to visit him quite regularly. And he says, how come you always look so bad in the morning? You're the king's son. He should be looking pretty good. So Jonathan then said to him, lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. 
When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So the word depressed or haggard means to be weak, to be depressed. We'd say he's down in the dumps. Ever been down in the dumps? Well, that's, that's Ammon here. It describes his low emotional state. He longed to have his half-sister Tamar, and because of his unfulfilled desire, he was depressed. He figured, I'm never going to fulfill my desire and have her. Now, if John John Dab was a true friend, what should he have told him? She's your half-sister. You can't have her. That's what he should have done. His desires, excuse me, his desires were wrong, and stopped thinking this way. That's what a true friend would say. You know, when your desires are wrong, shouldn't go down this course. You know the scriptures say, but he doesn't. He encourages his desires and suggests a plan to fulfill Ammon's sinful desires. Look at Proverbs 1.10. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. You've got to be careful who we spend time with, who our friends are. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. It says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And it goes all the way down to verse 18 and 19. Don't spend time with them, it says. They say, Come with us. Let us lie down and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol or the grave. <coughs> Even whole as those who go down to the pit, we shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our house with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in their way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to two evil, and they hasten to shed blood. They're saying, stay away from these men. Obviously, he didn't. Look at chapter 13 of Proverbs, verse 20. Chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Stay away from these people. Ammon had the wrong friend. Think about it. The wrong friends of Rehoboam ruined him. He listened to his drinking buddy teenagers instead of listening to the wise men of Israel. That caused a split of another nation. Ahab listened to Jezebel's evil counsel and killing Nadab and caused problems. So now we see the request for Tamar in verses 6 through 10. So Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill when the king came to see him. And Ammon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Ammon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Ammon's house, and he was lying down. And she took dough, kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and dish out before him. But he refused to eat. And Ammon said, If everyone go out from the room, or go out from me, so everyone went out from him. And Ammon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat. From your hand. 
Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom of her brother Ammon. Ammon begins to implement Jonadab's deceitful plan. And he's going right in the footsteps of David, right? David was deceitful. Now so is Ammon. He did not follow David's devotion to God. He followed David or David's immorality. So he had a choice. I can follow my dad's devotion or I can follow my dad's deceit. He chose to follow his dad's deceit. Tamar is young. She's naive. She's modest. And the idea is she was sheltered from evil influences. She always spent time there in the special palace made for her. I don't know if David was apprehensive in sending Tamar or not, but he agreed to it. So as Amor cooks things, cooks some food, strange things begin to happen. Number one, Amon refuses to eat. Number two, he sends all the servants out of the room. And number three, he wants Tamar to come into his bedroom and feed him in his bed. Those ought to be red flags to anybody. What's wrong with this picture here? Why would he want to do these things? And Tamar complies. She probably doesn't know what's going on. She's what the Bible describes as a simple young person who lacks discernment. You still in Proverbs? Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. It says, Naive believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. And usually naive people, they believe everything they're told. Look at chapter 22 of Proverbs, verse 3. 22, verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. So she was a sheltered, naive young lady, probably didn't know any better. Maybe David didn't teach her how she's supposed to act around men. Maybe her mom never, never taught her. Who knows? She, at this point, might be suspecting something, but we really don't know. We see Amon defiles Tamar. We see Amon's sinful actions. But first we see the refusal of Tamar. Look at verse 11. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where I get rid of my reproach. And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now her Tamar finds herself in the same position as Joseph did. Remember Joseph, Genesis 39? When he was confronted with Potiphar's wife, he first tried to reason with her. How can I do this thing and sin against God? And so did Tamar. She tried to reason with her brother as well. The theme between Tamar and Joseph was, Joseph fled. He ran away. Reason only goes so far. And you can't reason with a foolish man as she says you're a fool. You can't reason with, reason with fools. You, know, you really can't reason with anybody if you think about it. They're dead set in their ways. And she should have ran. And the idea here, when passion takes control, all reasoning goes out the window. 
anyone who commits adultery or fornication, they know it's wrong. But they use all kinds of excuses, right? Oh, yeah, we love each other. And if we really loved each other, you know, nothing would stop us. We're going to get married anyhow, so what difference does it make? I know my mom and dad did it before they got married, so it's no bad big thing here. We always try to reason and rationalize our sin even before we know where it's going to take place. Genesis 39.15 says Joseph fled. In 1 Timothy 2.22, Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts. And that's what we need to teach our children and our grandchildren who are still young teenagers or college students. Don't spend time alone with other boys and girls of the opposite sex. Teach them what God's word says about immorality. It's always wrong. It is never right. No matter what reasons you can give me, you will never convince me that it's okay to commit adultery or it's okay to commit fornication. Scripture is very clear about that, right? See, Joseph knew you couldn't reason with sexual passion. So Tamar also realizes that the reasoning is not working. She goes, to, she goes to plan B. Instead of running away, she sort of gives an idea, saying, no, go talk to the king and he'll allow us to get married. There's only one problem with that. The law says half brothers and half sisters cannot get married. Very clear. So that was never going to happen. Maybe she thought, if I told him that, that I can leave, and he'll ask, and David will say no, then I'll be out of trouble. But no, it didn't work. In verse 14, we see the rape of Tamar. However, he would not listen to her since he was stronger than she. He violated her and lay with her. He was more powerful, stronger, overcame her. And he gets what he craved. He gets what he thought about and fantasized for days and weeks. You know, belief leads to behavior. And behind every sinful tragedy is a thought process. You start thinking of this. David's still reaping the harvest of his kids, right? Think about it. He defiled someone else's daughter. Now his daughter is defiled. And worse than that, one of his sons defiles his daughter. Look at Amon's shameful attitudes. The rejection of Tamar. His whole emotional outlook changes. He rejects Tamar. Look at verse 15. Verses 8. Then Amon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which she or he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, Get up, go away. He gets what he wants, and now he responds like many men do when they get what they want from a girl they're dating. He dumps her. He just doesn't dump her. He dumps her like she was a piece of garbage. I want nothing to do with you. Amon thought he loved her. He was distressed over her. He became ill even thinking about her. And after he committed this act, he hated her vehemently and wanted to get rid of her. 
which is a principle. Sensual cravings are confused with, they confuse lust with love. Before he sinned, Amon wanted to tame her all to himself, but after he sinned, he couldn't get rid of her fast enough. Demonstrates he did not really love Tamar. He just lusted after her. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Describes what true love is. This is true love. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm sorry. It's 13. <coughs> Verse 4 says, Love is patient. Lust demands immediate gratification. Lust cannot wait, or love will wait. Truly love someone you can wait. You're patient. Love is kind. Lust is harsh and rough. It's abusive verbally and physically. It's not jealous. Or love does not demand its own way, but lust is very selfish and demanding. I demand if I want what I want. You know, it's a foolish argument. If you loved me, really loved me, you would do this. On the other hand, if you really loved me, you wouldn't ask me to do this. Love does not think evil. But lust promotes immorality, evil thoughts, iniquity. And verse 8 says, love does not fail. Lust disclaims further responsibility and further relationships with this person. Lust treats the person like a piece of garbage, just to be thrown away. Now, lust may be interpreted as, as love at first, but when physically expressed, it results in disgust, hatred, disrespect for the person. That's what happens. Most of the time, a young person, boy and girl, have a a relationship that's immoral, it's wrong, usually they break up shortly after it. The lust has been fulfilled and I don't want her anymore or I don't need her. I can find someone else. Amon got what he wanted, but notice it didn't satisfy him. Now he hates Tamar. What he thought would be great was unfulfilled. His fantasy is unfulfilled. And when you desire something, last after something, you finally get it and you realize, boy, that really wasn't worth it. When I was a kid, I told you the story before, I must have been nine or ten, I cut grass and earned money. We had a store not too far from our house called Sandy's, and they had this, this big package of those horns filled with cream. You know what I'm talking about? Like six in the package. And I always wanted one. Man, I thought that would be so good. I thought it'd be filled with whipped cream. But the cream is filled with, it's not the same as the whipped cream you think it is. You know, it's sort of different. So I cut some grass, and I went and I bought it, and I went home and I ate the whole thing. Boy, was I sick. And I learned, man, it just really didn't taste like I thought it would taste. And that's how it is with lust. You think it's going to fulfill a desire when in reality it, it, it doesn't. Notice the haste in verses 16 through 18. But she said to him, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young men who attended him. 
and said, now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of Israel dressed themselves in robes, and this attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Again, Amon treats Tamar like a piece of garbage and throws her out and locks the door behind her. Notice, he doesn't call her by name. What does he say? Throw this woman out. They may have noticed in the King James, New King James, woman is in italics. And when a word is in italics, what does that mean? It doesn't appear in the original text, so the translators added it. So basically what it means is, throw this thing out. Get rid of this thing. I don't want this thing in my bedroom anymore. Get rid of her. So you want to treat people like things to be used, you end up throwing them away like old clothes or broken toys. And by throwing her out, he commits an even greater crime because Deuteronomy tells us if you forcibly rape a woman, you were to marry that woman. And you can never divorce her. And you're supposed to pay the father restitution. Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29 says. So by throwing Tamar out, he does worse. It looks like she propositioned him instead of the other way around. So she would be branded as a guilty party for the rest of her life. Just think what the rest of her life would be like. Chance of getting married probably zero. She had to stay locked up in her dad's palace for the rest of her life. Verse 19, we see the humiliation. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long slave garment which was on her. And she put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. She's full of grief. She throws dust on her head. She tears her clothes. She feels like dirt. She feels like garbage. That's what I believe girls feel like after they've been violated. They feel like garbage. I thought you loved me. In verse 20, we see the refuge for Tamar. When Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amon, your brother, been with you? You sure get the idea that Absalom knew what Amon was thinking about? He sees her, her clothes tore, ashes on her head, she's crying, she's distraught, and the first thing he says to her, have you been with Amon? Amon could connect the dots. He probably heard through the skullbutt or through the rumors that Amon loved Tamar. But now keep silent, my sister, he is your brother, do not take this matter to heart. So he says, you know, don't worry about it. He's your brother means, you know, hey, if it was any other man, I would deal with him. But since he's your brother, I can't. But bide your time and I'll take care of the situation. Don't mention it to dad. I will take care of you. Come live with me and I'll take care of you. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. The word desolate means to be appalled, shocked, filled with terror. She's probably sitting there saying, I can't believe what happened to me. I had my whole life out before me, and now I've, I've lost everything. The idea is emotional devastation and trauma. Her life's ruined. Her world's ruined. She will live in an exclusive or reclusive life for, for as long as she lives. 
See, Absalom is working on a plan or a scheme that will accomplish three purposes. Avenge Tamar. Secondly, get rid of Ammon and put him next in line for the throne. So he's thinking of a plan. He wants to avoid a public scandal, but he says, this is my time to get the throne. We're going to stop here. We'll pick it up next week. I just can't go on. Hope you don't mind getting out early. Um, let, let's stand. I don't think I can finish this song, so let's all stand. And um, did Dave Lee sing last week? Yes. Dave, why don't you come on down and lead singing here and close everybody in prayer? I just gotta. Sorry about that. We'll finish this next week, which means you probably get out early again next week. So.